In this episode, we're going to talk about John Harvey Kellogg and bacon, pomegranate juice and oat bran, as well as ask the question, does paleo really make any sense? Discuss why logic never matters when it comes to diet and food trends. This episode has become one of our favorites. It's really informative, very funny, and also taught us a lot while we were writing and producing it. In addition to Kellogg and bacon, oat bran and pomegranate, we'll talk about Nabisco's snack wells and how fat-free foods actually made America fatter. And when you're done listening, we hope you'll feel more empowered, sorting out the fast and the furious when shopping for food. If you haven't listened to part one, What are you waiting for? Do the math. (laughs) While this episode does stand alone, we recommend you listen to part one first. But like we've said before, we're not your mother or your father, at least until we get that email from Ancestry about a DNA match. So you're in charge. Here in San Francisco, Keto Crusaders versus Carbo Zombies on the Golden Gate Part two starts now. This is Cornucopia. Now, for those who have listened to part one, but might be suffering memory loss due to boozy post-vaccination get-togethers, we'll refresh your soused synapses with a brief recap. No matter what your CrossFit-loving best friend says, there isn't any one right way to eat. Trends are like pop stars. They come and they go. We're going to start this episode with something you heard in part one. It's not just because it's funny, but more importantly, a reminder that worrying about what type of food to eat is a luxury. This is a first, first, first world problem. So, like we did last episode, we're very happy to let you know that Gwyneth Paltrow, who others call the lifestyle guru, confessed that during the long pandemic lockdown... Okay, are you sitting down for this? She fell off the no-carb wagon and ate pasta. Pasta. And she even ate bread. Trends come. Trends go. The grapefruit diet, the Scarsdale diet, the Hollywood diet, Jenny Craig, macrobiotics, cybergenics, yeast-free, wheatgrass, cholesterol-free, sugar-free, 
high protein, low carb, whole grain, fat free, and all bacon too. Okay, I made the last one up, but it was almost a thing. Now, let's take a trip back to the 80s and learn about a food craze that we bet you all the kombucha in California you've never heard of. It's one that also illustrates the way trends can disappear and the time it takes to make a batch of oat bran muffins. Yes, in the 80s there was an oat bran craze, and for a while, a serious shortage of it too. A little context. Before this craze, oat bran was as popular as Millie Vanilli is today. And if you don't know who Millie Vanilli is, that's what we mean. In addition, not only does oat bran look a lot like sawdust, but when it's cooked as a hot cereal, it doesn't taste much better than sawdust either. I know. I used to eat it for breakfast all the time. As noted on the website, simplyoatmeal.com, how's that for a niche? Probably something uh, associated with an industry group, but we can't say for sure. But as noted on their website, oat bran is the outer casing that covers the oat groat and separates it from the inedible husk. After oats are processed to remove that inedible husk, you're left with an oat groat. Steel-cut oats, or what are also called Scottish oats, which by the way are the breakfast of choice here at Cornucopia, are just chopped up oat groats. However, the vast majority of oats are processed to remove the oat bran for faster cooking, as in rolled oats, quick-cooking oats, and hauling oats. Despite oat bran's resemblance to what you'd find on the floor of a carpentry shop, it's actually got some sex appeal. Well, actually, just nutritional appeal, and less like me, you're really attracted to men who eat hot cereal for breakfast. <whistles> oat bran's got lots and lots of fiber, is low in saturated fat, but most importantly, had a dozen studies behind it that showed consumption of oat bran helped reduce bad or LDL cholesterol. Before this craze, oat bran was primarily a byproduct with minimal value until suddenly it became a profitable star. Hot oat bran for breakfast, oat bran muffins, oat bran bread. Oat bran became ubiquitous with good health boosted by a couple of cookbooks, and not surprisingly, Quaker Oats too. And what's really important to note is that unlike diets to tell you, sure, go ahead, eat as much bacon as you'd like, oat bran in all its forms was never something that appealing. As mentioned, hot oat bran for breakfast was mush, and in the hands of less than talented bakers, oat bran could lend a dry and dusty feature to muffins and bread. By the way, oat bran was often eaten in conjunction with niacin, one of the B vitamins that was, especially in the days before the creation of statin drugs, and still is today, considered a powerful weapon to reduce serum cholesterol levels. But our point is simple. 
Opran has significant benefits, but it's faded from the limelight. And the reason it faded is particularly telling. After the publication in January 1990 of a Harvard study that found no difference in serum cholesterol levels between those who ate oat bran and those who ate white flour, sales of oat bran headed over the cliff faster than Thelma and Louise. For more on the story of high-fiber, fickle, and feckless love, we're going to refer to a Los Angeles Times story from February 1991. You can find it on our blog. Within weeks of the study's release, Quaker Oats saw sales of oat bran drop by 50%. <laughs> and as someone who's done market research, that's, uh, that doesn't happen. Quoting the story... How could one study abruptly halt the oat bran frenzy that had been fed by a dozen or so positive reports about its cholesterol-lowering benefits? The answer shows more about us than it does about oat bran, end quote. The story continued with the insight of David Levitsky, a Cornell University psychologist and nutrition expert, says the Harvard study simply gave many an excuse to go back to their old meat and potato ways of eating. Saying that the long-term enthusiasm for oat bran had fulfilled strong emotional needs. It satisfied our dream to have a magic bullet, to have one single food to cure all our ills, end quote. This is the key to understanding not only this episode, but also whether you're looking for something from the food you eat that would be better addressed in therapy than the stuff you put in your shopping cart. So the lesson of Oat Brand's rapid rise and drastic fall is that whatever halo of well-being accompanies a trend, it takes much more than health benefits to keep it alive. Personal beliefs as much as science is one key between something that gets popular and something that stays on the sidelines. You can see that the relationship between a trend and the actual benefits of a food could be derailed as easy it is to fall asleep while watching a show on Bravo. Humans are fickle. And if you don't know about that, good for you, because that means you haven't gone on a date in a very long time. Where are you from? Now, additionally, a trend can gain currency despite various facts that suggest it might not make that much sense. To better understand this point, we're going to refer to Dr. Tamara Sachs in her 2019 article, The Hidden Agenda Behind the Paleo Diet. You can find a link to her website on her blog. We're not bringing up her skepticism in order to dismiss paleo but to further illustrate the arbitrariness of food trends. She notes our paleo ancestors ate a nutrient-dense diet that included over a hundred different types of plant food, were far, far more active, and slept twice as much as humans do today. Furthermore, and we're quoting here, you cannot separate diet from lifestyle when it comes to health. 
unless you're going to live the life of a Paleolithic human, including nonstop movement, no chemicals, no pollution, no Wi-Fi, tons of sleep, and pretty much no stress, you shouldn't eat like one. And even if you did eat like they did in the Paleolithic era, you would be eating 99% plants, not a grass-fed burger topped with pastured bacon. End quote. Back in those days, it took a lot more work than grabbing your phone and logging on to Instacart to get some meat to eat. There was lots of hunting required. But that's perhaps where she misses the point. The fact that food trends are not purely logical. That despite what followers want you to believe, diet and trends don't just have to do with facts and nutrition. As we already discussed, oat bran was a feel-good food, one that provided emotional satisfaction in addition to fiber. Saying that a diet doesn't make sense is about as useful as telling your best friend that the person they're dating isn't good for them. Even if that person isn't, odds are strong that your best friend will still be hoping to make plans for Friday night. Now, Sachs brings up another interesting fact that bears significant consideration. Namely, that paleo became popular at a time when meat sales were declining due to the health concerns we've discussed previously. She states that, quote, The meat and dairy industries have done an incredible job of making the paleo diet sound healthy and appealing. But if you think about it, it just doesn't make sense, unquote. Is this a surprise? Marketers influence the way we eat? Of course, her point is valid, especially in a website focused towards patients and people seeking advice. And as we'll detail later in this episode, conventional wisdom about nutrition and trends aren't always what they seem. But in case our skeptical eye has left you with the perception that everything's bogus, let me reiterate, there are lots and lots of things that you can do that will improve your well-being. From food to supplements, alternative ways of breathing, eating, dieting. But do your homework and don't become someone who sneers at anything more unusual than a box of Ritz crackers or a Red Baron frozen pizza. You might be one of those rare people that's vital and healthy, eating nothing but Slim Jims and Hot Pockets. Figure it out for yourself. But remember, denial isn't just a river in Egypt. Hot Pockets! Try Lean Pockets, too. There are lots of characters creating illusions, casting spells, and seeding our desires. But don't forget that this is a two-way street that both the desire for something new, something to make us better, along with the presence of less-than-honest characters seeking to take advantage of this impulse, is like the fog in the wind here in San Francisco. Whether or not you can see it or feel it, it's never gone for very long. Carbo Zombies on the Golden Gate. We'll be right back after a short break. I know my chicken. You got to know you are chicken. I know my chicken. 
don't forget to check out our archives. Most are timeless. Well, classics, really. Well, not really, but as informative today as they were when they first posted. Check out our pilot episode, The History of the Supermarket. And we bet you'll agree. Adios. These days, the words and trends have changed, but the promises remain the same. Lose weight, gain energy, return to your true self, put on muscle, get your beach body back, paleo, Fermented, ketogenic, gluten-free, probiotic, raw. All of these offer a variety of real benefits. But if your BFF tries to persuade you that bread and pasta are tools of the devil, give them a hug, grab a baguette, and remind them there isn't any one right way to eat. Go ahead. Buy that grass-fed ghee, probiotic chickpea granola, ketogenic cold-brewed coffee, alkaline-stable drinking water, hypoglycemic juice cleanse kits, paleo-friendly ranch salad dressing, or quinoa whiskey, just like Gwyneth Paltrow. It's your money and your life. But take a look behind the curtain. You'll see market research analysts dissecting data, looking for insights, analyzing purchase habits by age, income, family size, where we live, where we shop, trying to figure out what new, almost universally more expensive products they can convince us are exactly what we need. Now, once a trend gets established, that's when everyone hops on the bandwagon and the marketing and monkey business heat up like Dallas in July. And like the man behind the curtain in Oz, things aren't what they seem. This is nothing new. The 19th century was rife with traveling medicine shows, peddling elixirs and tonics, cures for all sorts of illness and disease. And in one way or another, the hucksterism has been going on nonstop. Now, back in my childhood, I and most of my friends believed a lot of it. Wonder Bread claimed helps build strong bodies 12 ways. And Tang, the artificially flavored, sugar-loaded, orange beverage mix, was touted as the energy breakfast drink that brought astronauts to the moon. With the success of the recent Apollo space flights, man has been brought another step closer to the moon. Aboard these manned Apollo flights, three astronauts, and with them, Tang. Tang, the energy breakfast drink with rich natural flavor and more vitamin C than orange juice. 
still, Tang's biggest role isn't in NASA's space program. It's right here on Earth. And if you think this kind of deception doesn't exist today, wake up and smell the bacon. Take breakfast. Ask people if it's the most important meal of the day, and most would agree. But not at all. As noted in a UK Guardian story that you can find on our blog, this idea about breakfast was propagated by a variety of people over many decades, including religious moralizing from a variety of holy rollers, nutrition advocates like John Harvey Kellogg, a leading health expert back then, and of course, advertising. But it was a campaign, and this is good, people, a campaign to sell more bacon that finally solidified this idea that breakfast is essential, what the body needs. Maybe, maybe not. And this idea about breakfast also exemplifies the way that the beliefs of an idealist like Kellogg, combined with purely self-serving marketing efforts like bacon manufacturers, is so common to many trends. And in case you're wondering why we're calling Kellogg, the guy who, along with his brother, made a breakfast cereal empire an idealist, it's because he actually was one. Kellogg began promoting the idea of breakfast long before he and his brother created their cereal empire. For a fascinating book on the many idealists behind what eventually became the natural and organic foods movement, we can't recommend the book Hippie Food by James Beard award-winning writer Jonathan Kaufman enough. It's really a remarkable book, and after reading it, it's clear that much like Kellogg's original idealism, the ideals of many of the innovators in this movement for natural and organic foods have been corrupted by big business. We'll put a tiger on your team, Kellogg's Sugar Frosted Flakes. Great big flakes of corn sparkling with a secret sugar frosting. Either with milk or right out of the box, Kellogg's Sugar Frosted Flakes are packed with energy. But let's get back to the ways conventional wisdom might be better called being duped. When I first started working in the natural foods business in the 80s, the fat-free craze was enormous. But little did we know back then that is revealed in a 2016 New York Times report that in the 1960s, the sugar industry paid scientists to play down the link between sugar and heart disease and instead promote the idea that saturated fat was the culprit. Yes, it's true. The sugar industry belongs in the big fat liar hall of shame right there with tobacco. Snackwells, a brand developed by Nabisco to meet the growing demand for fat-free foods, was hugely successful in the 90s, but of course nobody was looking at the tons of sugar in these Snackwell products, which, you know, at the time didn't seem like a negative health effect. It was just a way to make the fat-free pleasure penalty a little more bearable. But in reality, as noted in a PBS Frontline report, 
the fat-free era, and this is classic, the fat-free era actually made America fatter. That's right, the fat-free era, fat-free foods, and the fat-free craze made America fatter. That's because boxes of fat-free cookies were consumed like people were eating air without any worry about the health impact of gobbling down a whole box. People mistakenly believed that fat-free meant healthy. What's remarkable is, if you look at the nutritional information, fat-free cookies had nearly the same amount of calories as cookies made the standard way. At Snackwells, we like to think that snacking shouldn't just be about treating yourself, but about treating yourself well. And it shouldn't simply be about satisfying your hunger, but about satisfying your hunger for life. In this spirit, Snackwells introduces new Caramel Delights, luscious fudge cookies with creamy caramel and velvety icing, yet amazingly reduced in fat, so they're simply better for you. The all-new Snackwells. Live well, snack well. The misguided attitude might be best summed up in two simple words. Carbohydrates, schmarbohydrates, who cares? Okay, I guess that was four. Now, if you're thinking, sheesh, how the hell could people be so stupid? I'd never be that dumb. We get the instinct. But here's the deal, Mrs. or Mr. Sparty Pants. As we've been talking about this entire show, lies, hype, gobbledygook, and misguided conventional wisdom are the yeast that makes food sales grow big and fat. Now, because this episode is getting denser than an iron and lead sandwich, to lighten things up and keep it in perspective, Let's listen to comedian Tom Papa. You can find him at his website, tompapa.com. Stop telling me what you're quitting. I'm quitting gluten. I'm quitting sugar. My wife, oh, no, you're not quitting sugar. She quit sugar all January. I'm quitting sugar. I'm never eating sugar again. Yes, you are. And you're going to eat more of it because you're going to freak out and <laughs> three o'clock in the morning. Not because you're a big fat pig, because you're a human being, and you get sad sometimes, and to stop yourself from slitting your throat, you have a cookie once in a while. Now, we've got just one more story to complete our informative, yet very teeny tiny, itsy bitsy look at gimmicky big business nutritional hijinks. We're going to rewind the clock back to the early 2000s. We're going to look at another food trend, one that was created by a single company with juice to sell, a juice that previously you'd be hard-pressed to find anywhere outside of a Middle Eastern specialty market. In 2002, the privately held Wonderful Company, formerly known as the Roll Group, launched Palm Wonderful, the pomegranate juice. The story of Palm Wonderful the husband and wife team that run the company, and its six-year battle against the government is worthy of a 1980s TV show like Dynasty, along with a dash of Atlas Shrugged. First, a little bit about the company. Our information is from a variety of sources, with a particular shout-out to a New Yorker story titled 
the pomegranate princess. It's a reference to Linda Resnick, who with her husband, Stuart, own and run the company. In addition to Palm, brands the Resnick's company owns include Fiji Water, Wonderful Pistachios, Wonderful Almonds, Halo Mandarins, Teleflora, and Paramount Farming. Paramount is the world's biggest supplier of almonds and pistachios and one of the country's leading producers of fresh citrus. In 1987, Paramount purchased 18,000 acres pistachios, which included a 108-acre orchard of pomegranates. Stuart Resnick pondered pulling all the pomegranate bushes up, but was convinced to leave them and have another company pack and sell the pomegranates. Fifteen years after accidentally acquiring this crop of pomegranates, the orchards had grown substantially, and the company launched Palm Wonderful. Let's listen to a clip from a Palm Wonderful YouTube promotional video about that. By the time we had grown the orchards to 900 acres, several of us in the farming operation were a little, were a little concerned that we were getting so many pomegranates we wouldn't be able to sell them all as fresh fruit. And we talked to Linda and Stuart about it and decided to learn how to make juice. This video may not seem very interesting, but I was really shocked to find this video because it actually contradicts the entire origin story of Palm Wonderful. It seems so clearly to call BS on all of Linda Resnick's charismatic and persuasive hype. How much she fell in love with the folklore of pomegranate, an ancient and biblical fruit, who discovered studies about the healing effects of a pomegranate extract which we'll talk about shortly, and was moved because this powerful fruit spoke to her. Not because her farm manager said, hey, we got too much fruit, we got to do something with it. Prior to the launch, an internal company survey found that only 4%, only 4% of all Americans had ever tasted a pomegranate, let alone drank pomegranate juice. So what do you do when you want to sell something nobody knows about? You make everybody believe it's the next best thing to finding the fountain of youth. And that's what they did. Every bottle of Palm Wonderful is packed with the antioxidants in pure pomegranate juice. Relentlessly ravenous, free radical, annihilating antioxidants. Palm Wonderful. Crazy healthy. Now, there's nothing wrong with pomegranate juice. It's just not special. But despite this fact, as stated in The New Yorker, Linda Resnick, quote, trumpeted pomegranate juice as an antioxidant-rich miracle that might improve cardiovascular health, battle prostate cancer, even prevent Alzheimer's disease. But unfortunately for Resnick and Palm Wonderful, product claims are strictly regulated by food and drug laws. They require approval. You can't just put something on a label in your advertisements or marketing materials. Just because you think it's true or want it to be true, or perhaps most of all, because you know it will help you sell, 
lots and lots of pomegranate juice, which nobody would care about otherwise. But Palm did exactly that. These unproven illegal health claims were central to its business plan and its marketing and advertising. By the time the product launched, it claimed its pomegranate juice, in addition to being an antioxidant superpower, could treat heart disease, prostate cancer, and erectile dysfunction. All claims which violated food and drug laws. And in 2010, the company was ordered to stop all advertising with these false claims. But Palm used its deep pockets and its six-year battle to take the case all the way to the Supreme Court, which refused to hear the case affirming the order to stop making false advertising claims. Affirming that Palm's advertising was false advertising, that Palm was engaged in deception, just like Donald Trump's hair color. The part about the hair, that was not in the court decision. That was my analysis. As noted, Linda Resnick claims the inspiration for Palm Wonderful Juice came from her fascination with pomegranates and her discovery of an interesting study involving a pomegranate concentrate. Now, there was some research about a highly concentrated pomegranate extract, and this is a very common way in both herbal supplements and food supplements to extract the active ingredients in an herb or food and concentrate it. Cannabis gummies are also made this way. But this extract resembles pomegranate juice as much as my bank account resembles Elon Musk's. Or those photos from 1998 resemble that 65-year-old guy from Tinder you met for coffee. The basics are the same, but the details are hugely different. Palm was always quick to point to numerous studies to support these claims. But these were studies that Palm paid for. And of course, industry commission studies like big tobacco and cancer, or as mentioned earlier, the sugar industry and heart disease, are as reliable as emails selling a proven way for men to enlarge their endowment, or those from a Nigerian prince offering you an easy way to make lots of cash. And more importantly, none of these studies ever met criteria needed to make these health claims. Yet through it all, the false advertising worked, creating a huge market for pomegranate juice, which previously had close to zero demand. Now, while not endorsing their make-up-their-own-rules attitude, Linda Resnick and her marketing team were as deft as Simone Biles on the balance beam. First, they bottled palm in this terrific-looking, squat, curvy glass bottle that people fell in love with, saved, and used them as vases, too. No surprise about using them as vases because the company's Teleflora brand was key to making these great glass bottles. By the way, the company discontinued using glass bottles because the heavier weight made shipping costs prohibitive. The ads were also phenomenal. Here in San Francisco, Palm Wonderful advertisements were everywhere. 
featuring the intriguing bottle along with simple large testimonial statements. Things that said the new antioxidant superpower, cheat death, health's angel, or one that I love the most, life support, showing a palm bottle upside down as if it was an IV bag attached to an intravenous pole. Even after the false advertising ruling and the issue was being battled in the courts, the company never stopped advertising, continuing to imply that Palm Wonderful was a superfood, a powerful way to stay healthy, sort of a magic elixir. The company produced an assortment of ads powerfully challenging the government, including one that said, quote, Palm versus the FTC, you be the judge. It included a link to the company's press release about the issue, a downloadable link to the initial decision, and links to the ads in question, as well as the research it claimed substantiated their case against the government. If only it did that, but it didn't. Palm's advertising was false advertising. Palm was engaged in deception. Spend enough, though, say it enough, and people will start to believe you. I know I did. And of course, what's really hysterical is that these days, nobody drinks juice anymore because it's got too much sugar. And no, we're not talking about the three ounces of juice you put in your spinach, kale, flaxseed, chia, rosemary, oil, turmeric smoothie. We're talking about 12 ounces of OJ, people. That used to be considered a healthy way to start your day. So what we know today might not be anything more than what the man behind the curtain, an industry association, or a company trying to get people to buy some juice from a weird fruit wants us to believe. Time out for many men of medicine usually means just long enough to enjoy a cigarette. And because they know what a pleasure it is to smoke a mild, good-tasting cigarette, they're particular about the brand they choose. In a repeated national survey, doctors in all branches of medicine, doctors in all parts of the country were asked, what cigarette do you smoke, doctor? Once again, the brand named most was Camel. Yes, according to this repeated nationwide survey, more doctors smoke Camels than any other cigarette. Why not change to Camels? Carbo Zombies on the Golden Gate. We'll be right back after a short break. You're listening to Cornucopia, the cult, culture, and business of food. Your very best friend, until we all get vaccinated. Follow us wherever you listen. Our website is cornucopiashow.com. Our Twitter is at show, And our mood is cranky. Don't believe everything you read about or see on the web. And in case you think it's easy to avoid getting duped, we're going to share a real-life story of how marketing hype can influence even the most savvy and skeptical consumer. It's a tale about somebody this podcast really loves, and you'd think wouldn't fall prey to a bunch of marketing gobbledygook. That person is me. Two years ago, I bought peaches, a couple of large bargain bags 
they had dings and bruises from the Civic Center Farmer's Market here in San Francisco. When I got home, I was searching the web to find a recipe for a gluten-free fruit crisp made with oats. I had a lot of rolled oats in my pantry. Looking for a recipe, another one caught my attention. Insanely healthy oatmeal cookies. I love good oatmeal cookies. They remind me of my mom. Insane, healthy. I had to make these, but I couldn't. The recipe required things I didn't have. No, actually I had them all. Flour, sugar, oil. All of them organic, by the way. But this insanely healthy recipe required coconut sugar, coconut flour, and yeah, coconut oil too. But thank goodness for the internet. In less than 10 minutes, I had ordered these ingredients and then added a few things I didn't really need because if I spent $18 more, I'd get free shipping. Two years later, that coconut trifecta, that tropical key to insanely healthy goodness, coconut sugar, flour, and oil, haven't been touched since I took them out of the box that they were shipped in and made room in the cupboard next to my other sugar, flour, and oil. Insanely healthy. <laughs> Yet larded with coconut and coconut sugar. Maybe insanely tropical. But healthy? No, not really. But one thing that I'm certain of is the insanely effective way that the coconut marketing machine got me to dole out 20 bucks for three things I already had. This recipe, no doubt part of a PR effort, offers extremely healthy benefits, maybe insane benefits to the coconut industry. Growers, commodity suppliers, processors, industry associations, and the retailers who sell these higher-priced alternatives. One other thing I know in a few years, the trend for all things coconut will fade away. And actually, it's already starting to happen. This January, Coca-Cola discontinued its Psycho Coconut Water brand when it purchased in 2013. Walk into any convenience store and you'll see why Coke let go of Psycho. Five or six years ago, four-foot shelves were loaded with coconut water, sometimes even two shelves. These days, you'll likely just see one or two bottles to choose from. By the way, Psycho's original founder bought it back from Coke. The rise of coconut and the start of its decline is a perfect illustration of the way trends come and the way trends go. But despite this fact, it won't disappear like Tang. Now, after all, People still eat oat bran for breakfast, just not as many of them. Maybe these oat bran diehards are adding it to their morning smoothie made with pomegranate juice and acai berries. If you don't know, acai is a rainforest berry and like pomegranate juice was also touted as a superfood. And for a while, both were trendier than Taylor Swift's Twitter feed. They aren't actually superfoods because superfoods aren't real. And they only exist 
in the imagination of product brand managers. There's no scientific definition for a superfood, though there is one thing required for something to be called a superfood, and that's really super marketing, with hype so thick you could cut it with a knife. Well, it takes weights off hips, bust thighs, chin, midriff, gives you dandruff, and it finds you a job. It is a job. Magic bullets don't exist. Not in real life. Like superfoods, they're nothing more than hype. That doesn't mean they should be drinking Dr. Pepper instead. That doesn't mean that acai or pomegranate juice don't have some nutritional benefits. But so do apples and oranges. Look at the reason you're buying these and other products. And it might be because you think they're more special than they actually are. Sort of like Tinder. Food manufacturers and consultants are always seeking something new. Something to replace the latest fading star. Promoted as superfoods or tools for health. The source for new trends vary. Sometimes from nutritional science like green tea other times from innovative entrepreneurs like GT Dave's Synergy Kombucha. Sometimes it comes from lying, deceiving consumers like Palm Wonderful. And other times from commodity growers and brokers seeking to create demand for low-cost ingredients common in other parts of the world, not known here in the U.S., like coconut water, acai, Maybe it's a byproduct like oat bran. And of course, these days, oat milk, the latest and greatest in the hit parade of non-dairy beverages. Or all the companies making snacks from beans, which are inexpensive and also meet the current vogue for being higher in protein and lower in carbs. We're not saying that there's anything wrong with oat milk or beans. We love them both. But we're describing the way the food industry creates new consumer demand with a heaping side of P.T. Barnum hype. Oat bran or acai or coconut, it doesn't matter. The corporate consumer product dance is always the same. The marketing weapons of mass consumption recalibrate, change their focus, revamp their hype, promote that something new, convince us is insanely healthy, can change our lives, worth the high price, creating super profits for the great and powerful marketing machines. And there we are. Always curious like cats. Ready for something shiny. Something new. Forgetting the people pulling the levers behind the curtain. Whether we're merely chasing our own tails or improving our well-being, that's up to you to decide. Trends come, trends go. 
Dad, would you like some mixed vegetables? Hell no. <gasps> what did you say? I said I don't want any damn vegetables. All right, that's it, young man. No Bible stories for you tonight. <laughs> the show was written and produced by me, Matt Levine. We'd love to have you subscribe and share us with your friends. Special thanks to Alex Zondervan. We really appreciate his guidance and coaching and quirky jibber-jabber. Check out his website, generalsubject.org, where you can discover his poetry and art. And this uh, is really, really cool. Rhizograph printing, because he does that too. It might be perfect for your next product or project or wedding invitation or cards. We want to thank the following. Judith Bigham and Diego Boucher. Scott Berkeley for Legal Counsel. Thanks to Nancy Levine, Nicole Whedon, Matt Zucker, Claudia Marshall. Will Puckett for tech support. Dirk Schluter and Ken Perez. Sam Valley, Cherry Pasamba, David Adams, Dennis and Alper Kearney. Thanks for listening. I'm Matt Levine. We'll see you in the grocery aisle. Every time we say goodbye, every time we say goodbye, bye-bye. This is Cornucopia. Bye-bye.